Amen and amen. I don't know if I can preach after that. I might have to take a few minutes and collect my, myself. Praise the Lord. Amen. That is awesome. We want to glorify the name that's above every name, the name that is the most magnificent, the most majestic and holy name of all. It's the name of Jesus. Amen. And so we want to glorify his name and honor him. And that's what we seek to do. We continue through the, the gospel of Mark. And today we're looking at the topic of costly commitment or lazy loyalty. You see the outline in the bullet today, some blanks that need to be filled in. So as we begin, what would happen? Let me ask you, so what would happen if as we're raising our children, if we gave our children all the toys that they wanted, if as we're raising we children, our children, we never told them no, if we let them do whatever they wanted, and we never made them claim responsibility for their actions, what would happen to those kids? What kind of children would they be? And the answer is that we would raise children who would not appreciate what they have. We would raise children who would have no respect for authority. We would raise children who would think that the world centered around them. And that we'd have children who would be lazy and not want to work. Ah, some would say, that's the very country in which we live in today. But friends, I would submit to you that that is also the state of the church in America. You see, friends, our prosperity, our comfort, our security has caused us to think that being a follower of Jesus Christ is all about us. And it has caused us to become ungrateful, self-absorbed, with no respect for God's authority over us, and it has made us to become lazy Christians. We have forgotten or at least set aside the costly commitment of the sacrificial love that he has had for us and that we have too often become lazy in our loyalty to him. So friends, listen. Today, let's be reminded of his commitment and let's take a good look at ours. Y'all with me this morning? Amen. And may we walk away from our time together this morning, resolve no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delights, but rather let us run to Jesus with gratitude, with love, and with faithfulness. So we're going to read from Mark chapter 14. We're getting closer and closer to the cross. And so we're going to come today to Mark 14, verses 27 through 42. I'll read that for you, but I'd ask if you would, in honor and reverence to the Word of God, if you'd please stand as I read that passage of Scripture for us today. Start in verse 27, Mark 14. Then Jesus said to them, speaking to the disciples, remember they're still in the upper room, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. But Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. 
But Peter spoke more vehemently. He said, if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. But then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. He said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. And he went a little farther and he fell on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And then he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again for their eyes were heavy and they did not know what to answer him. And then he came the third time and he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the son of man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reading of the word of God. And we are reminded here of so many things in this passage of scripture. We pray, Father, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, that you would help us to be receptive to what it is that needs to penetrate each of our hearts today, that we might be the people who have a solid commitment to Jesus Christ in every area of our lives. Lord, not just compartmentalized. But Lord, we pray that you would help us as we hear from you this morning, as you take the word of God and apply it to our lives individually. We pray, Father, that you would help us to walk away different people than when we first walked in, that we'll come away from here with a greater desire to walk higher, walk longer, walk greater and deeper with Jesus with a greater love for you. And so, Father, we pray now that the words of my mouth, meditations of my heart will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And it is our prayer, O God, that if there are those who do not know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of their lives this day, that they might find the sweetness, the joy, and the victory that's in him and him alone today. But also, Father, we pray for those of us who are your people. Lord, we pray, revive us again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, we're going to see two things here. costly commitment and lazy loyalty. The first thing is the costly commitment. And so we want to look first at Jesus's commitment. Look at his commitment, knowing that the cross is right before him. We are right getting very close now to the cross here in the gospel of Mark. And as we come now to this portion of the book, we see him, and there's a couple of things here that we're going to see him as this costly commitment. And the first one is enduring denial. Enduring Denial. Look again at verses 27 through 31 when Jesus says to the disciples, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I'll go before you to Galilee. But then Peter spoke up and said, Look, if everybody else is made to stumble, I'm not going to be the guy. It's not going to be me. But Jesus said, Look, Peter, as I surely I say to you that today, even this night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter spoke up more vehemently. He says, if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. Jesus says to them that they will all stumble. You see, Jesus knows very well, very clearly that indeed they will all stumble and indeed they will all scatter. Judas will betray him. 
Peter will deny him and all of them will abandon him this night and leave him. And yet Jesus now is moving closer to the cross, knowing exactly what these disciples are going to do. And what do we find Jesus now doing in this passage of scripture? We find him inviting these same people to come and be with him in prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but what would you do if you knew that there's a, you were getting ready to face a huge trial. You were getting ready to go through a very difficult time. And somehow, supernaturally, if you knew that the people who were the closest to you that you had invested your life in for the past three years, you knew that each one of them were about to depart from you and to scatter from you and to leave you alone and abandon you, and you had the ability to call down fire and lightning bolts, what would you do? Friends, if that were us, left to us, I suspect that we might cast a few lightning bolts and some consuming fire on some people. Oh, not me, preacher. Well, you can be pious if you want to, but I know better, right? But not Jesus. Not Jesus. You see, friends, when we go through trials and when we go through difficulties, we want support. We need support, and that's important. But Jesus here knows that he is about to be alone. And he knew before the crucible of the cross that not only would he be alone, but also that those who were closest to him would not stand with him, even betray him, even deny him. These people he had spent three years with. But it was all part of God's plan. And the way that Jesus responds is an indicator of his character. Amen? It's an indicator of his character as God. We see the Lord God Almighty in the Old Testament, if you recall. The Lord knew the children of Israel as he allows them to leave Egypt. The Lord knew that the children of Israel would fail him. He knew that the children of Israel would chase after idols eventually. He knew that the children of Israel would follow after their own lust and their own desires. He knew that the children of Israel would forsake him. And yet this same God, the Lord God Almighty, would still allow the Passover that we talked about last week. This same God would allow them to walk through on dry ground as they walked through the Red Sea without thinking about what they were going to do in the future and just drowning them and saying, I'm going to start all over. This same God fed them with the manna that kept them living. He gave them water from a rock and he went before them and he led them to the promised land. This same God, why did God do that? For the, did it because of the same reason that Jesus doesn't call down lightning on the disciples here? It's because of this. Watch this now. Because grace is his nature. And unconditional love is his character. That's who he is. That's what he's done. It was a costly commitment of enduring the denial. But also we see him exceeding in exceeding distress. In exceeding distress. So they come to the garden of Gethsemane. 
The word, the name Gethsemane itself means an oil press. An oil press. In that day, an oil press, if you can imagine a large rock that's huge and around like this, that's leveled off, and then a well of sorts, a trough is dug out in that rock around it so that there's another rock that then sits on that trough. Olives are placed on it. There's a piece of wood that goes into the rock so that it is, goes around in that trough. And as the, that, that wheel, that, that rock wheel goes around that rock trough, around it, it crushes those olives. It presses those olives and it pours out the oil. It brings out the oil from those olives. It is an oil press. It is crushing the olives as the weight. That is the word for Gethsemane. And here we find Jesus in Gethsemane, and this is exactly what is happening in his life. And that we see him, that he is being crushed, that he, the, the, the weight of the world now is weighing heavy upon our Savior in the garden of Gethsemane. It is exceeding distress. We see here that his prayer, as we look at this passage, is filled with an extreme emotion. Let's look again at verse 32 through 35 as Jesus tells them to come to Gethsemane he says to the disciples sit here while I pray so then he takes the three closest to Peter James and John in that inner circle with him he began to be troubled and deeply distressed and he said to them my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death stay here and watch and so he went a little farther and he fell on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible that the hour might pass from him. Then we'll go one more verse. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Now just look at those words. We can see those words in Holy Scripture and see the, the crush that Jesus is experiencing here in this extreme tr- distress. He's, the Bible tells us here that he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. The word trouble, it means to be full of heaviness, to have extreme anguish. The word deeply distressed means that he is overwhelmed with wonder, that he is in extreme anguish here, utterly astonished. To be exceedingly sorrowful, in verse 34, he tells us, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, means he is grieved all around and intensely sad. And indeed, even it tells us in verse 35 that he fell to the ground and prayed. You see, friends, he is under the weight of, of what is before him, exceeding distress. Have you, ever, have you ever been to the point of being overwhelmed? Have you had life just sort of bear in on you so that you just feel like you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel? Have there been times in your life when you have just been overwhelmed with the situation which you're facing? You don't know the answer. You don't know the outcome. You don't know where this is going, but you just can't seem to even get above the water. You just are overwhelmed with this burden of heaviness. Usually it's because of what we have endured or what we are enduring or because we're not sure of what is about to happen. But friends, here what we know about Jesus is that Jesus had all of that. Take what you have experienced before, but take now thinking of Jesus and what all of that he has endured. Plus, he knew very perfectly what was to happen, what was coming before him. 
And as this is weighing on him, he is in agony. He's in agony, anguish. So much that in Luke chapter 22, verse 44, it tells us there that being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and then sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. This indeed is a rare medical condition. Around the sweat glands, there are multiple blood vessels in a net-like form. And as one doctor put, he said, under pressure of great stress, the vessels constrict. And then as the anxiety passes, the blood vessels dilate to the point of rupture and the blood goes into the sweat glands. And as the sweat glands are producing a lot of sweat, it pushes the blood to the surface coming out as droplets of blood that are mixed with the sweat. And Jesus is under such anguish here that this has happened in his life that there are great drops of blood falling down to the ground. It is an extreme distress. Jesus is an intense spiritual agony. Pastor, why did Jesus endure that? Friends, he did that for you and for me. He even prayed, take this cup away from me. Father, all things are possible. Take this cup away from me. What cup is he talking about here? It's the cup of the weight of every sin. You see, Jesus would be made sin, the Bible tells us. He would be made sin, sin past, sin present, sin future at this moment for all of eternity. He has made sin. And 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, for he made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so Jesus would bear the guilt of our sin. And as he looks ahead to see the weight of that sin upon himself, he, he draws back. He's in anguish. He is in agony. It's an exceeding distress. He has never felt that before. He's never seen that before in his own, his own, his own life and what that would be. But now we see the, the wrath. Not only does he have the cup of the weight of sin, it's the cup of the wrath for sin that he must also endure. He would endure the wrath of God for our sin. He becomes the curse for us. In Galatians 3.13, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So Jesus is speaking to the Father. And so if it's thy will, Father, if it's all, poss- all things are possible, take this cup away from you, the cup of the weight of sin, the cup of the wrath of sin. And then also it's the separation that he would endure from the Father. From all of eternity, he has had fellowship God the Father and God the Son have had this fellowship together from all of eternity. And now he recognizes that there is going to be this separation from the Father because the Father cannot look upon sin. God, holy God, cannot look upon sin. Jesus will become sin and he will be deprived of the fellowship of the Father. And this alienation from the Father horrifies Jesus. It staggers Jesus. Friends, I tell you, as I study that this week, and it's hard for me to picture Jesus being horrified. It's hard for me to picture Jesus staggering at anything. But what we see here is that that is exactly what took place as there's great anguish on him because 
of that alienation from the Father and the weight of the sin of the world coming upon him, that holy God must become sin. It's against his character. It's against who he is. And it's staggering. As a matter of fact, it tells us in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 and 9, Speaking and pointing back to Jesus is who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. It's pointing back to this very scene in the garden of Gethsemane. And he was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who will obey him. You see, Jesus yielded to the Father's will. He endured denial, and he had exceeding distress. And Jesus sees that before him, and he does not run from it. He stays the course. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And friends, as we think about the costly commitment that Jesus has made here and what he has done for us, and that he has endured the cross and despised the shame, how does that then affect us today? knowing what Jesus has done for us. If you move then to the next verse, in verse 3, it says, for consider him, think about him, think about what he has done. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. As we are reminded of what Jesus has done, it helps us not to be weary, but it also should cause us to have a faithful commitment to Jesus But unfortunately, I'm afraid that too often we're more like the disciples with a lazy loyalty, a lazy loyalty. You see, friends, when we look at this passage, if each of us are honest with ourselves and if we're honest with the Lord about ourselves, we have to say to him that we see in the disciples what we see in us. And the first thing that we see here under the second point is incomplete commitment. An incomplete commitment. In verses 29 through 31, you remember we talked a minute ago where Peter said to Jesus, look, if if everybody else stumbles, Peter is not going to stumble. I'm going to be the man, Jesus. It's not going to be me. Everybody else can, you can stumble, but it's not going to be me. But Jesus tells him, I'm telling you, even this night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But then Peter says, oh, no, Jesus, and he spoke louder. He got more into it. He said, no, absolutely not. That's what that word vehement means. It's, it's just getting, getting louder and absolute going after it. No, that's not what it is. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to deny you. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And then they all said, likewise, all the disciples. You see, it was an incomplete commitment. In other words, they said one thing, but they didn't follow through. Y'all with me this morning? 
They said one thing, but they didn't follow through. They said, we're going to stick with you, Jesus, but we find that they scattered. We see this kind of lazy loyalty in Peter even here. Peter here is called out by Jesus of denying him. And what does Peter do? In the very next breath, he denies him by denying the denial, right? That's what he's doing. Jesus said, you're going to deny. Well, he denies the denial. He disbelieves Jesus. And in in essence, he is saying to Jesus, I do not believe you. I'm calling you a liar for saying that to me. I'm not going to deny you. You see, friends, this incomplete commitment is having flowery words, but no follow through. They boasted, well, oh, I'll be glad to, I'm, we're going to stick with you, Jesus, to the death. If everybody else leaves, I'm, I'm your man, Jesus, Peter said. Flowery words, but no follow through, incomplete commitment. You see, friends, if I tell my wife that I love her, but I never show it to her in any fashion or form, if I don't ever do anything for her, then she's going to have to wonder if those words really mean anything. After a while, don't you think? That's not love. That's just words. Flowery words. Let me tell you something. This incomplete commitment is talking the talk, but not walking the walk. Jesus describes these kinds of people in Matthew 15 in verses 7 and 8 where he says, hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you saying that these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You see, it's all talk and no walk. It's flowery words with no follow through. It's lazy loyalty that is an incomplete commitment in that it's not all there. So not only is there, we see this incomplete commitment, but we also see something else. We see an inconsistent commitment, an inconsistent commitment. Peter and all the disciples said, Jesus, we will not deny you. Jesus, we are with you. We will die with you. We will die for you. But then Jesus gives them this simple assignment. Watch and pray. And what do we see them doing? Sleeping. You see, friends, listen. Inconsistent commitment says this. Inconsistent commitment says, you can count on me. Jesus, you can count on me as long as it suits me. Jesus, you can count on me if if nothing else is important at the time. Jesus, you can count on me as long as it's convenient to me. Jesus, you can count on me being your disciple, being faithful to you in all things but it's got to wait until I'm done with what I want to do first. You see, friends, it's an inconsistent commitment. Here we see it in Peter and the disciples and that sleep took precedence and they gave in to that sleep. Inconsistent commitment comes when we give in to the flesh. You would think of all people, Peter here, would have been determined that he is not going to fall asleep. You got to just imagine that Jesus has just told him, you're going to deny me. And Peter says, oh, no, to the death. And Jesus says, sit here, watch and pray. And, of course, it's late. The hour is not late and they're tired. And Peter has to be thinking, this sleep thing is not going to be me. I am going to do what Jesus says. Go watch, I'm going to pray. And then 
Who knows what took place next as Jesus is out there praying, Peter, James, and John are, are back a ways. Maybe Peter thinks, well, maybe I'll just go sit under that tree. That's not, not going to hurt anything. I'll just go sit on that tree. Maybe Peter says, once he gets to the tree, well, maybe I'll just stretch my legs out a little bit. And then as he stretches his legs out and things get kind of quiet, he says, man, it sure is quiet under here. And I sure am tired. But Jesus said to watch and pray. And so he may struggle just a bit. And then all of a sudden he thinks, well, just... Just a quick little doze won't hurt. I'll just take a little quick nap real quick while Jesus is out there. And and then he takes a little doze and all of a sudden he's out like a light. Friends, isn't that what we do? Jesus calls us to commitment, to follow him, to be obedient to what he's called us to do, to do what he says to do, to be what he says to be. And we say, well, just this morning, I don't think I'll get up early to pray. It won't matter about today. Well, it doesn't matter if I skip church just one time. Well, nobody really cares about me anyway. And then pretty soon, friends, we've stepped over into rebellion against God. That one step led to another step, which led to another step. But friends, here's the thing. The first step was rebellion itself. The first step is disobedience to God, which leads to, which is sin. And as we see it here in the life of Peter, we have to ask, what, what in the world happened to Peter? What in the world happened to him that he had said, I will not deny you, and now we find him asleep? Well, I don't think Peter realized his own weakness. I don't think Peter realized that he was a weak mortal, that had this weakness within him and that he was self-confident in his own ability. You can sort of see that in his whole life story as we've seen it in the gospels of how Peter has lived. He didn't realize his own weakness. And friends, many times we don't realize our own weakness as well. And we're overconfident in who we are. We think, well, I can handle this. I can do this. But friends, let me tell you something. If we're not trusting in Jesus, we're headed for a failure. Amen. We must depend upon him in all things. So how different then, but how different this commitment is to that of Jesus. Jesus endured denial. He dealt with exceeding distress, but he remained committed and faithful to the cross that was yet before him. So the question for us then today is just how faithful are we? A missionary uh, back a long time ago, many years ago, a missionary society wrote to the famed missionary David Livingston and asked him, Have you found a good road to where you are? If so, we want to know how to send other men to you. Livingston wrote back, he said, If you have men who will come only if they know that there is a good road, I don't want them. I want men who will come if there's no road at all. And friends, I believe we're like that today, as Christians, especially in America. I wonder sometimes, would we remain steadfast under intense trial? I wonder sometimes, would our loyalty to Christ pass the test of the oil press of persecution? Oh, but preacher, I'm faithful to the Lord most of the time. 
I mean, I come most of the time. I read my Bible most of the time. I, I'm faithful to him most of, I, most of the time. I'll do what he says to do. 95% of the time, I am faithful to the Lord. As one old preacher said, if you tell your wife you're 95% faithful, is she going to think you're faithful? Amen? That's still unfaithful. Here's the bottom line, people. Talk is cheap. Do we live it? Do we live this life of following Jesus? Or are we lazy in our loyalty? Do we have a costly commitment? Are we committed to Christ? Does our, has our commitment to Christ cost us anything? Has it cost me anything to be a follower of Jesus? Has it cost you anything to be a follower of Jesus? Costly commitment. Who are we more like here? Are we more like Jesus? Or are we more like those disciples? I think we know the answer, don't we? All of us. All of us are guilty. So then the question is, how do we stay true? How do we continue being committed to have a solid, faithful commitment to Christ? And here you see at the bottom, just a couple quick things. We are to remain resolute. We're to stay to the task, to be faithful to the Lord. So how do we do that? Jesus showed and told the disciples how to do that in this passage. He told them, first off, to pray. They were to pray for dependence. Jesus prayed. Jesus needed strength to endure the weight that he was about to take. In Luke 22, it tells us that the father sent an angel to him. And let me tell you something, friends. If Jesus prayed because he needed strength, who do we think we are when we feel like we are strong enough to handle life's difficulties? Amen? We must pray for that dependence upon the Lord. Secondly, not only do we need to pray, but guess what? We need to pray again. He says to pray Pray for defense. In verse 34, Jesus said, stay and watch. In verse 38, he said, watch and pray. So he's telling them to be vigilant because the enemy is lurking. As they're out there sleeping instead of praying, Jesus had told them to watch and pray. The enemy is lurking. To watch and pray, he said, lest you enter into temptation for defense. Put your defense up. Watch and pray. You see, friends, during those crucial times in your life, when you're going through the battles, when you're going through the tribulations, when you're going through the difficulties, the devil is going to be at your back and he will lie to you. Pray for that defense, defense that comes from the Lord. And then thirdly, guess what the third one is? To pray also, pray. Pray for determination. Pray for determination. Jesus spent, what what we see here is that Jesus spent time in prayer. He took it all to the Father. He laid out his heart before him. He was in an exceeding uh, distress. He was in an extreme emotion here. And he spent time in prayer. And then we see him saying, not my will, but thine be done. He was prepared. He was ready to face this trial. And as we come into the cross, we will see that Jesus is ready. He faces the trial. He kept going, and he could keep going toward the cross with commitment. 
He prayed for determination. So what must you do to be that faithful servant of Christ, to be loyal? Pray and pray and pray. Amen? When I was a Navy chaplain in the reserves for about eight years, a Navy chaplain wore three hats because uh, the Marine Corps were under the Department of the Navy. They don't like to admit that, but they were. And also the Coast Guard. And, of course, the chaplains wore all three of that. So the Marine Corps didn't have their own chaplains. It was a Navy chaplain as well as a corpsman. And the Coast Guard had the Navy chaplains as well. So the Navy had three chaplains. And while we were there and while serving, there were, so there were three different mottos. The Navy's motto was Semper Fortis, which means always strong. The Coast Guard's motto was Semper Paratus, which means always prepared. And the Marine Corps' motto is Semper Fidelis, or you hear them say Semper Fi, which means always faithful. And so, friends, as believers in Jesus Christ, we shouldn't just be one of those. We should be all three. Always strong, always prepared, and always faithful. That's what he's called us to. The question is, do you know him, this Jesus? Because he did this for you. He did this for you to be reconciled to the Father, to redeem you from your sin, to rescue you from perishing. He did this for you. So if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, why not come to him today? It's acknowledging that we're sinners in need of a Savior. It's turning from our sin and turning to Jesus Christ. It's embracing, believing with all of our heart that Jesus is God's son who died on the cross for us and rose again bodily from the grave and it is professing him as the savior and Lord of our life. It's taking a step of faith. The Bible says, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you believe that? Whoever. If you've never trusted him, why not today? And Christian, as we live our lives for the Lord. We must live our lives for the Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, we pray that you would help us to live those lives for you. Talk is cheap. We must live it out. So Lord, help us not to be people who have a lazy loyalty. Lord, let us have a commitment to you that is faithful where we have counted the cost and know, Lord, that it is a costly commitment, but oh, how it is worth it to be saved from our sins, to overcome the power of hell through the power of Jesus. So, Lord, we pray that you'd be with us now as we come to this invitation, that you'd speak to us, and where we need to be reconciled to you, where we need to be refreshed in our spirit, Lord, we need to walk with you more thoroughly, more faithfully. Lord, may you just deal with that in our hearts today. Lord, for those here who just need to come and pray silently, we pray that we'd have the freedom to do that. Those of us who are your children, Lord, who need to come maybe to pray with Pastor Andy or myself, Lord, praying for a recommitment, saying, I just want to surrender my life to Jesus. I want to do everything he wants me to do. I want to live that life. I don't want to be like those disciples. I want to walk faithfully with Jesus day in and day out. Lord, help us to make that commitment today.
But more importantly, Father, we also pray for those who have never made a commitment to Jesus. We pray that this would be that hour of salvation where they would come and take Brother Andy or myself by the hand and say, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I want him to save me from all my sins. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to those hearts today as well. We give this time to you, Lord. It's all about you. It's not about us. Forgive us, God, where we have failed you in so many ways. So, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to live the life you've called us to live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.